Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. All right. I... How, how many of you have ever been to church and they were talking about somebody else? You ever been there? You know, like, oh, they're talking about the married people. I'm single. Or, or they're talking about the singles and I'm, I'm married. Or, you know, they're talking about the people with anger problems. That's not me. I just like to talk about all the people who have anger problems. Sometimes we, we, we have a tendency to think, well, this doesn't apply to me. And so we check out. But I want to encourage you. How many of you in this room are married? How many of you are not married? Okay, so those of you who are not married have had to put up with many different times when we start talking about the married people and, and, and what to do and how to treat your spouse and, and, and different things about that. Today, I'm going to talk about singleness and dating. But if you are married, here's the thing. I don't want you to check out. Here's why. As a godly person, people come to you and say what and how and why. And we want to have biblical answers for them. How many of you agree with me? If, if you're married, you're going to have kids who at most of their childhood and youth, they will be single. Some, some of you may not married. If I'm talking about dating, you're like, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. Let's just listen for somebody else, okay? Because God can give this, give you um, wisdom. And it is amazing. Once God has something in you, how he will send people to come get it out. So today we're going to talk about um, being a godly single, Proverbs, and, and dating. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. Top priority is guarding your heart. How many of you guys ever did a science fair? Had one at school. Anybody do the egg drop? See, I, I remember doing the egg drop. The goal of the egg drop is to guard the egg. And you're supposed to drop, you know, create some sort of structure around an egg that will protect it from, you know, I don't remember what the distance was. Maybe it was a 15-foot drop. And, and the goal was to create something that would protect the egg and could land in a given spot. And if your egg was intact and someone else also competed and their egg was intact, then they would give the winner would be the one who had the lightest contraption. So, what did we do? We got a box of eggs and tried it on everything. I was like, well, what would happen if you wrapped an egg in Crushed tinfoil. So wrap an egg in crushed tinfoil. Go up 15 feet, drop it. Oop, that didn't work. 
let's try something else. What if I, I, I make like a, a, a encase it in little balloons? You know, maybe that will work. What if I put it in, in, in balled up tissue paper? I remember one of the things I did was literally I emptied an entire tissue box and then restuffed the tissue in there and tried to stick the egg in the middle and then went and dropped that. And my strategy was to try as many times as it took to find a system that wouldn't break the egg. A lot of people date that way. Their strategy is, I'm going to keep dating until I find the guy or the girl who doesn't break my heart. They have this, this concept that, you know what, um, as a single, I need to be dating. I need, and, and by dating, they mean in a romantic relationship. So they're going out there, and they keep trying romantic relationships until the, the idea is, well, when I find one that doesn't break my heart, well, then I'll keep it. But is that consistent with what Scripture told us? Said Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I am not here to say that it is wrong to date. I am not at all against dating. But we need to do it in a way that fulfills this scripture. Above all else, guard your heart. If our strategy is to just get into a relationship and then, you know, if it, if it fails, well, then just go get in another one. You know, it's interesting when we look in scripture, there is one verse that absolutely gives criteria for marriage. It says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Scripturally speaking, singles, you absolutely should not date someone who is not compatible with you spiritually, meaning you're in the light, they need to be in the light. Missionary dating, not biblical. You know what the Bible doesn't say? He has to have a job. It's a good idea, though. You know, the Bible doesn't say they have to be so tall or, or have yeah, a certain level of handsome or, or a certain level of beauty. The, the Bible doesn't say that they, they have to have a certain level of education have a certain amount of money, that's not there. You know what? You get to choose. But the Bible does say, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Is there something wrong with dating? Absolutely not. You're going to pick a spouse. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Finding a godly spouse is an awesome accomplishment that, as a single person, if you do not feel you are called to stay single for the rest of your life, you can pursue that. But how do you go about it? Do you go about looking for a person by, by trying on every potential relationship to see if it breaks your heart? The point of dating is to find a spouse. 
to set a foundation for a successful marriage and family, to find a safe place for your heart and a partner to fulfill God's purpose for them and for you. The point of dating is not to have a date Saturday night. The point is not to find a hottie to have on your arm. It's not to prove to yourself or others that you're desirable. Catch this. The point of dating is, to not, is not to simply avoid loneliness. Nor is it to release sexual tension. Nor is it to fulfill the vacancy of significant other. A bow. If those are your point then you're going about it in a way that is not going to protect your heart. It's interesting that we're, our society today is so into giving your heart, getting into romance as quickly as possible. And 1 Peter 4.8 says this, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5 talks about love. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. What does love do? It keeps no record of wrongs. Love is blind, as, as the saying goes. Now, if your goal is to find a person with whom your heart will be safe and with whom you can fulfill God's purpose, if you're looking for the right one to marry, God designed love to be the lubricant in a relationship. To allow... The reason that love overlooks a multitude of sins is so you can put up with your spouse for the rest of your life. Because I tell you something? Married people. It, all right. If you're married, raise your hand. If your spouse is perfect, put it down. Huh? I saw some movement. Nobody's perfect. Guys, none of us married someone perfect. None of us. And God designed love to overlook imperfections. If, if I asked you to, to, to judge a piece of art, if I brought you into a room and I said, there's a bunch of pieces of art in here, and we walked in, and the lights are on, and the art's on the wall, and I say, okay, there's the art. Now I'm going to turn the lights off. Tell me which one you want to buy. I mean, you saw it for a couple of seconds, but now I want you to make your choice in the dark. You'd be like, you're crazy. I want to see clearly what I'm choosing. When, when as a, a single person, you jump straight into, I met them, they're nice, let's be exclusively romantic and let's get in a romantic relationship right now. Do you know what you just did? 
you put the blinders on before you had time to see what was there. And then you're in this relationship and you're like, I don't, I don't know why they always go bad. You, your romance is designed to blind you. God, God did that on purpose for marriage, not for the selection process. Listen to me. The most important part of your selection process should be before you give them your heart. I'm going to say that again. The most important part of your selection process is before you give them your heart. This whole idea that you can immediately jump straight from nice to meet you to let's be a couple while we figure out if we're any good for each other has things backwards because you're blinding yourself with romantic love and, 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 and physical passions and then you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be able to see straight and figure this out. Now, is there anything wrong is it wrong to, to have a romantic relationship, to, be, to fall in love with someone? Of course it's not. You, yeah, the process does go. Meet them, get to know them, then perhaps explore, okay, we want to go to a, 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 a deeper friendship. Now, a romance, we're going to get engaged, we're going to get married. My goal is to find someone to marry. But if I... If I Say, oh, I'm going to get to know you, and I'm going to switch that around, and I'm going to, I'm going to date you. We're going to be exclusive, and we're, we're going to be romantic, and, you know, who's this? Well, that's my new boyfriend. When did you meet? Well, last week. That, that doesn't fulfill the purposes. It has things backwards. If you see red flags, if you're dating someone, let me just say this. If you are dating someone, what that should mean is, so far, I don't see why I would not marry this person. So many people are dating someone they know they don't want to marry. Don't raise your hand. If, if you allow yourself to date people that you know you don't want to marry, you will eventually marry one of those subpar people. Because you will get so invested, so in love, that you will... The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Pretty soon that person who you knew for sure you didn't want to marry, but hey, they were available, and there was nobody else so why not just be with them until you'll end up marrying one of those people. You'll end up dating, engaged, and married to one of those people that you thought was an interim romance. What does, what does a healthy perspective look like? If, if you do go on a date. Now, I've described the ideal. I get to know that person, and then, without having blinded myself with romance and physical stuff, then I'm like, okay, 
now I'm going to move forward. But some of you are thinking, well, you know, what about like online dating? What about that? I don't, I don't have the chance to meet them beforehand. I'm not against online dating. I, I will say this. Online dating in the sense of finding someone to meet and get to know, I get that. If you are dating someone in Hawaii and you've never met and you are trying to build a relationship, I'm just going to say there are a lot of inherent risks there. I'm not going to say it can't be done. I'm just going to say I'm very cautious about trying to get to know someone digitally. But to be introduced to someone digitally, I don't see that that is problematic if, if you understand that you are guarding your heart and theirs. So when you meet, the goal isn't, all right, by the end of this dinner, we're going to know whether we get to, you know, we're going to be romantic. No, the, the goal is still to get to know that person, to guard their heart and yours. I've, when I was single, I went on dates with people that I got set up with. I, I met people through an online service, too. Met them, got to know them in, in that setting, and I had a lot of one dates. Just one. Because as soon as I saw something that I knew I was not going to, like, this is not the person for me, I broke it off. And you want to know something? I had multiple ladies thank me for doing so. Because I told them, I said, I value your heart and I am protecting my heart. And I see this attractive quality in you, this attractive quality in you, this attractive quality in you. I wish you the best, but I recognize that this isn't going to go through marriage and I don't want go there. So I don't want to play with your heart or to risk my own. And they would say, thank you. Nobody has ever done that. What was the point? The point was, if I know that I'm not, that this isn't going to, to end in marriage, then I'm not going to keep pursuing a romantic relationship. No problem with, with, with a friendship that you don't have to like Stay away from everybody, but you don't develop, don't pursue. Oh, well, in the meantime, let's get romantic. And no. Colossians 3.15. Listen to this, guys. And let the peace, this is the amplified version, the soul harmony which comes from Christ's rule act as umpire continually in your hearts deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your mind. In that peaceful state to which, as members of Christ's one body, you were called to live and be thankful, appreciative, giving praise to God always. This verse is talking about how to make choices and how to be led by God. Let's read it again. And let the peace, parentheses, the soul harmony, that comes from Christ's rule, act as umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your mind. In that peaceful state to which, as members of Christ's one body, you were called to live 
and be thankful, appreciative, giving praise to God always. God says that his peace should act as the umpire. What does the umpire do? Safe. Out. He calls it as he sees it, and it's final. God's peace is to act as the umpire in our hearts. I remember going on dates, meeting someone, like coming back, praying about it, being like, okay, God, they were, they were friendly, they were nice, they were pretty, they, we had some things in common. I'm like, okay, check, 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 check. And then I'm like, all right, God, should I pursue that relationship? And when I would consider it, there'd be this lack of peace inside where I just sensed, no. That's not the one. That's not, that's not the relationship that you're supposed to pursue. Did I, did, did I get a big reason? Did they say, well, because there's this deep, dark secret that you don't know about? No, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a, a, like a great reason. You know what I did? I thanked them. I praised them. I said, you know what? I'm impressed by this, this, and this. But... I believe that God leads us with his peace. And I am convinced that it's God because I can't see the natural reason why. Because you have the following positive qualities. I believe that there is something, someone wonderful out there for you. But I recognize that this isn't the relationship that I'm supposed to pursue. So I'm going to guard my heart and I'm going to guard yours and I'm not going to lead you on and go this. I'm not kidding. I had ladies thank me. Like, thank me for rejecting them because I didn't reject them. I was pursuing God. The, the goal of dating is to find the safe place for your heart. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, and the elder women as mothers, and the younger as sisters with all purity. One, one point I forgot to make about my previous comment is someone says, well, if you're waiting on God, why don't you just stay home, don't see anybody, just wait till God says, that's the one, and then go find her. It is easier to be directed by God as you're moving. It's kind of like riding a bike. Ever tried to steer a stationary bike? I mean, I've seen some YouTube videos of people who can do it. They can, like, balance and not move, and then they just kind of hop a little bit, and then they can turn. That's hard. A whole lot easier is to start moving and then just turn. So, in my, my experience, it was easier for me to get out and start moving, but I, I would not toy with my heart, and I wouldn't put toy with someone else's heart. Because the Bible said, above all else, guard your heart. Then the Bible says, 
to treat younger men as brothers and younger women as sisters with all purity. There's that word, purity. And in, in, in if you ever, like, I, I love asking questions, and I talk to, like, high school groups and college groups. I love to, to let people write in questions and say, you know, what, what's the question? You know one question that always comes up? How far is too far? What, where is the line? What, does, what constitutes purity? And it, it is an important question to understand. Although, if we were in a cooking class, if somebody said, tell me, how can I avoid killing people with poison? You'd be like, I was hoping you were going to say, how can I make something delicious and nutritious? Not, you know, where's the line before this will kill someone? We want to make sure that we're pursuing it for the right reasons. And this is the thing. If we don't understand why, it's hard to do the what. I can tell my kids all day long, shut the door. They just leave it open. Shut the door. I try to explain. Well, we're paying to cool this air. We're paying to heat this air. That helps when they understand. You buy a puppy or a cat that will escape, and you tell them, shut the door or the cat will escape, suddenly they can remember. Why? Because they understand and share the goal. They didn't really care how much it costs you to heat the house, but they don't want to lose the dog. Right? When they understand and share in the goal, then suddenly it's a lot easier to, to do what I've asked. So I want to talk about why does, why does the Bible say to remain pure? Proverbs 31, 10 through 11 says, A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. Trust is the currency of relationship and marriage. Now, here's my question. To all of the singles, and, and I'll ask it to everyone so that everyone can raise their hand. How many of you agree that when you're married, you won't cheat because cheating is bad? All right. When I go to a singles place, everybody always raises their hand. I'm not going to cheat. Oh, of course not. I'm not going to cheat. That, why, and I say, why wouldn't you cheat? And the answer is, it's wrong. It's wrong to cheat on my spouse. I'm in a, I'm, uh, we understand that our, a marriage is, is an agreement of exclusivity, that it would be wrong to break that. Okay. And as Christians, we recognize that God has asked us to save ourselves physically for marriage. But there is a temptation to be like, well, we're probably getting married anyway. Let's do it. I, I know it's wrong, but 
I mean, I was saving myself for you. What do you think? Should we do it? Let's do it. Come on, let's do it, do it, do it. Here's the thing. I want you to picture this. You are married now for multiple years. You're down the road. You guys have an argument over whatever. Who forgot to fold the laundry and so it got wrinkly. But you got really upset. Then he has to go on a business trip or she has to go on a business trip. And they're going to leave for three days and they're going to go to Chicago and there's going to be people from their office that also have to go to the conference that they're going to. And you know that that person is very flirtatious and that that person doesn't have any moral standards that they live by. So here you go. You're sending your spouse or you're, you're not really sending them. You're stuck watching your spouse leave to go spend you know, several nights at a hotel with some flirtatious, amoral person. How do you know that they're not going to, your spouse won't be unfaithful to you? Hopefully, you know it because you have trust. What is trust based on? Trust is based on patterns of past behavior. If that person, you say, well, why? why? They wouldn't do that. Why not? Well, because it's wrong. Okay, agreed. We know they agree it's wrong. You agree it's wrong. If they go out there and they're tempted because you know, you know what? Whatever the situation is, that person, they're more attractive than me. That person, you know, we're in an argument right now. Whatever it is, you look at that and say, what if that person, what if my spouse is tempted? Well, they know it's wrong. Okay. Back when you guys were dating and they knew it was wrong, how did they act? Well, back when we were dating and they knew something was wrong, if they really wanted it, they did it anyway. Now they're out there. Do you see how you've sabotaged your own, the trust in your own marriage? My wife and I waited until our wedding night. But that wasn't because that's what we wanted to do every day. Like there were times when we were engaged and married that I would have liked. There were desires I had that I would, you know what? She knew that I was tempted. She was tempted, but both of us agreed, no, that's not what we're going to do. So my wife knows what I do when I'm tempted. I follow what God asks of me. She knows that I value what God thinks over satisfying temptations. So the, my past history, even with her, proves that if I'm tempted, because she knows what it was like, I've seen him be tempted and not give in. I'm not worried. Even if he goes on that trip and, she, you know, that other person pours it on thick. Even if he's tempted, I know that in the face of temptation, he will choose to do what pleases God. That builds trust. When we 
are, now someone says, well, what if, what if I'm in a relationship and I've already broken trust? You just learned one of the reasons why there's a benefit. This isn't going to be popular, but you can reestablish trust. But you're going to have to behave differently. You're going to have to show each other that, you know what? There was a point in my life when I learned the value of purity. And after that point, I behaved differently. And the rest of my life, you can expect that behavior. So we're going to draw a line in the sand. We're going to say, as of this point, when we, gave, we got this understanding, once we learned, we changed our behavior. And for the next however many months it was until we were married, I demonstrated that despite whatever old habits I had and desires and temptations that I had, I did things differently. That's one of the reasons. One of the reasons that God asks us to demonstrate self-control with each other prior to marriage is because he knows how much trust that builds. Another reason is because first and early sexual experiences shape our appetites. This is important, and I want, I want everyone to hear this. Our culture today says that you will experiment to discover your tastes. You need to try things out to find out if this or that. You know what? You need to try that person on. Maybe, you know, how are you guys going to be compatibly sexually? Maybe you should just try it out. Or different types of sexual situations. They'll say, you know what? Um, the, the society says this. I don't mean to be crass, but society says, you know what? You should try out homosexuality and lesbianism and all of these different things because who knows? Maybe that's you. Would, if, if someone came to you with heroin and said, you might like it. You need to try this to see if really this is, this is what would make you happy. You would say, no. I understand that I don't have a, a hunger for, for heroin now, but if I take it, I will acquire an appetite for it. That's what sin does. That's what sexual experiences do. You acquire a taste for what you do. And you know what? God did that on purpose. He did that on purpose because if you get married to someone and then they become your source of sexual fulfillment, you will acquire a taste for them. Someone says, you know, what, what, are, what are you into? Well, if you are exclusively, if you are married and monogamous, you will be attracted to what you're married to, whether that's short, tall, wide, thin, brown hair, blonde hair, what, whatever. God literally designed you to react 
within marriage and to be attracted to that. This is one of the, the, the great lies that the devil is using in sexuality in our culture today is to say you've got to go try things to figure out if that is what you know. No. Experimental situations don't reveal appetites. They create them. Pornography doesn't reveal appetites. It creates appetites. When, what, one, of the, one of the problems with pornography is that it messes with that design that God gave. He designed you to be fulfilled by your spouse, to see them, and to desire them. Society and advertising and all of that is trying to, to tell us this is what ideal is. You realize that it changes? Like we think because of whatever that, that we understand what beautiful is. No, beautiful is an acquired taste. It really is. Even culturally, you can look it up. There are, there are cultures where large women with facial hair was, was the standard of beauty. And we're like, well, that doesn't line up with our current standard of beauty in our culture. Why? Because it's an acquired taste. God designed you to be attracted to the person that you are married to and with. And if you go prior to marriage, I'm going to tell a story that my father told me. He said there was a man in the church that came to him. He was a World War II veteran. He was in his, I think, 70s at the time. He had been married and divorced, married and divorced again. And he came and he shared and he said this. He said, when I was a virgin in the army... Some of my soldier buddies brought me to a brothel overseas, and I went and had relationship with a prostitute my first time. And he said, there has not been a single sexual experience I have had since that day that I did not think about that person. He said, it broke up my first marriage. It broke up my second marriage. He had 40-some years. What? That the, Science tells us that there are chemicals released in sexual situations, especially first situations, that burn tastes, experiences, preferences into your mind. When we try things out, when we're doing all of that, we're messing with the way God designed our bodies to function. And I'm not telling you that any person who has a negative sexual experience is doomed to, to experience what that man experienced. But I'm pointing out that this idea that, that experimentation has no impact, that it is somehow only potentially beneficial, take aside all the STD issues that you might be dealing with from a spiritual and psychological issue, that's not it. 1 Corinthians 
6.16 says this, Do you not know he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? The word says that they are one with her in body, is one flesh. That word, two different places in Scripture, is translated slave. Becomes one slave with her. Have you ever heard the term soul tie? When we are physically intimate with someone, the Bible describes it as becoming one with that person. Does, does having sex marry you to that person? No, it doesn't. That I can prove with another scripture, and I'll do that in a minute. But you do open yourself up spiritually to the same issues that they have. The Bible said one slave. Uh, an illustration of that was, was someone I knew growing up um, hated smoking. How many of you guys just don't even like the smell of smoke? Like, yeah. I mean, if that's a challenge for you, my heart goes out to you. Personally, I just, you know, you know like, who wants to drink gutter water? Who wants to smoke? Like, it just ugh, doesn't, nothing about it appeals to me. Well, this girl was the same way. She hated smoking. Started dating a guy who was a, a, a chain smoker. And as soon as they became intimate, suddenly she began to participate in all of the same vices that he had. And someone says, well, it's coincidence. No. She opened the door to the enemy in each of those areas because she became vulnerable. And we're going to talk in coming weeks. I was working on some, a message we're going to be doing. To, we're going to talk about iniquities. And we're going to talk about the curses and, and the legal foothold that the devil can get in different ways. One of the ways that, that, that there is a spiritual attack comes from sharing spiritual attack. When you are physical with someone, you become one slave, the Bible says, with them. The issues they have become issues that the devil is going to attack you with. Are you forced to become a smoker if you had... No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that you weaken yourself spiritually to the things that they are weak with. There is a spiritual cost to being with people. It's not pointless. There's no... That's not... Um, there, there is a, a cost there. The, look, Ezekiel 23, 7 says this. She gave herself as a prostitute to the elite of the Assyrians and defiled herself with all the idols of everyone she lusted after. This verse describes that this person, when they were with someone, then she, would def then she was drawn to the, the false gods that they worshipped. All of them. Every one of them. There is a spiritual, the, the Bible describes it, and we use the term a soul tie. You're basically giving legal access to the enemy to attack you in new ways. Don't think that you will get it out of your system. Ezekiel 23, verse 8, says, She did not give up the prostitution she began in Egypt when during her youth men slept with her, caressed her virgin bosom, and poured out their lust on her. 
The Bible describes sin as growing. It starts small and it grows bigger. We don't, we get this idea, this, this concept of sowing wild oats, of, of trying something now so that you won't want it in the future, you realize that is a deceptive strategy of the devil to pull people into something that can potentially negatively affect them for years and years. We don't, we don't get something out of their system. If someone said to you, I've never smoked, don't even want to smoke, but I saw an ad the other day and they were smoking. I think I'm going to try smoking for a month or two to get it out of my system. What would you say to them? Are you kidding me? If you aren't already addicted to, if you don't have that appetite, don't stir that appetite up in yourself. Don't get yourself hooked on something that you currently have no struggle with. Why would you do that? Oh, maybe I'm going to try heroin. I'm going to try coke. I'm going to try meth. I'm going to try... Like, no! If you don't have that issue, don't try it. She couldn't give up what she began in her youth. She thought, oh, this is going to be something I'll do as a youth, and then I'll be over it. Man, this whole idea that, you know, hey, I need to, to, to be crazy before I get married because when I get married, then I'll be, you know, it's going to be so easy to just, no, what you're doing is stirring things up. Ephesians 4.22 says this, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed by the spirit, in the spirit of your mind that you would put on the new man, which is created accordingly, according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. James 1.15 says, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. The Bible describes sin as, as growing like a mold or a virus. It starts out small and it duplicates and it grows. We don't try on sin to get it out of our system. The opposite. If we invite sin in, we're, we're letting our guard down. We're bringing that in and and it's going to grow. That's what sin does. You don't satisfy a sin lust. It grows. Ezekiel 23 verse 14. But she carried her prostitution still further. She saw men portrayed on a wall. Figures of Chaldeans. This is a biblical example of porn. With belts around their waist and flowing turbans on their heads, all of them looked like Babylonian chariot offers, natives of Chaldee. As soon as she saw them, she lusted after them and sent messengers to them in Chaldea. Then the Babylonians came to her to the bed of love, and in their lust they defiled her, and after she had defiled, been defiled by them, she turned away from them in disgust. Again, I'm not going to ask for hands, but how many times has, has sin said, I'm going to, this is going to be satisfying, you're going to want this, and then it pulls you in, and then you realize 
it wasn't what you thought. It doesn't give that satisfaction. She was disgusted, but she kept going. When she carried on her prostitution openly and exposed her naked body, I turned away from her in disgust, just as I had turned away from her sister. And she became more and more promiscuous. She was disgusted by it, but the nature of sin grew and pulled her in and multiplied it. It's telling the story of a lady, but it happens to men too. This, it's universal. It's either way. As she recalled the days of her youth, when she was a prostitute in Egypt. I'll stop there, but we don't try something and then get it out of our system. You're guarding your heart and you're guarding your passions, your desires. Like, we want... Don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you want a healthy sexual life when you're married? You want that. What you do now will benefit. You can, you can set yourself up. How do you fight? I'm totally out of time. All right. This. As, as a single person, Paul makes a very interesting point. He says this. In 1 Corinthians 7.32, he says, But I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, but how he may please the Lord. But he that is married cares for the things that are of this world and how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between being a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the, the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she that is married cares for the things of this world, that she may please her husband. Paul points out, he says, when you're single, you have a special opportunity where you are, you are not required to be looking out for someone else the way that a married person is. So if you're single, enjoy that bonus for now. It is good to find a spouse. We, there are verses here. Marriage is good. Whoever finds a, a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 18.22 um, Genesis 8, 2.18 also talks about the goodness of, of a relationship. But you have benefits to being single. You're not distracted. You're not required. Like you, you literally can be more selfish. And you can turn that into pleasing God. He says, when you're single, what should be your focus? Pleasing God. Because if you make that your focus and you draw closer to God and there's somebody else who's making that their focus and they're drawing closer to God, you're going to be closer to each other finding God. You realize God made the world. He can introduce you to somebody. He can do it. That's not too hard for him. But I would venture to say, if you don't have a process in place where you're going to protect your heart, introducing you to someone might do you more harm than good. And God knows that. So set in place decisions that will guard your heart so that you can safely 
meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And we don't have time to talk about more on that. But, okay, I know that was a little bit outside of normal, especially for you guys. We're, that okay? We're good? That was weak. <laughs> All right. So, let's close. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you desire a relationship with us, that you desire us to have a solid future. Lord, for those people who are single, still desiring to meet someone and, and, and someday marry, Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom on how to go about that while protecting their heart, while cultivating healthy appetites desires, Lord. I speak your blessing on them. I ask that you'd give them peace and wisdom in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you know that you're right with God, that you're on your way to heaven, I want you to ask you to raise your hand. Yeah, the Bible says, know that you have salvation. Step one is having a relationship with God. If, this, if you know you have a relationship, I'm so happy for you. If you don't know, the Bible says you can. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. It means you're forgiven from your sin. It no longer separates you from the Lord. And you're on your way to heaven. With every eye closed, if that's you and you want to know you can leave here knowing. I want to invite you to raise your hand right now. If you're watching online and that's you, I invite you to pray this with me. Say this. Let's all say it together. Say, Dear God, I believe you died for my sin and rose from the dead. I choose to make you the Lord of my life not going to live for myself anymore. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If that's you online, please let us know. Send us a, a direct message or you can put a comment uh, under the video that you're watching and we would like to reach out to you and give you uh, a special digital gift.